Well, I want to tell you guys about a time in my life where I was really afraid, okay? Um, I was in college, and this moment, like when I think of just moments in my life where I was really fearful, this is a moment where I was just really freaked out. So I was in college, and I was with my pastor and his family, and we were at Sam's Club. Do you know what Sam's Club is? It's like the, it's the worst version of Costco, essentially. That's kind of what it is. Um, on the East Coast, we have Sam's Club and very few Costco. What do you say? All the, the Sam's Club? Yeah, so East Coast, we have this Sam's Club over there, but Costco is better. Anyways, we're, we're in Sam's Club, and we're, we're getting a bunch of food and a bunch of stuff for this church event we're about to have, and we're checking out, and my pastor looks at me, and he says, Jacob, invite the woman behind the cash register to our church. And immediately, I was like, <gasps> and my heart was like racing, and I was just, I was terrified. And at that moment, I realized, like, this is really scary. Like, my pastor kind of put me on the spot. He didn't do anything wrong, but he just put me on the spot and said, invite her to church. And like all these thoughts went through my head. Like, what if she yells at me? What if she gets mad at me? What if she makes fun of me? What, what, if, she, what if she just laughs and says that like, like she just doesn't want to come and do that? I just, I was so afraid. And, and to be honest, the reason why I was so afraid is because at the time, I wasn't really making a big deal of inviting people to church. I wasn't thinking about, it wasn't, I wasn't praying about or even thinking about opportunities to share the gospel with people. I couldn't, I couldn't have told you at that point the last time I did that. And so when my pastor at this moment said, invite her to church, I like, didn't know how to do it. I was like, uh, and like, I, I did it because I knew that that was the right thing to do. Even though I wanted to tell my pastor, no, I wasn't about to look my pastor in the eyes and say, no, I'm not inviting her to church, you know? So I like walked up and was talking to her and I couldn't even tell you guys what I said because all I was focused on was like how freaked out I was. And I'm sure that I sounded like a big dummy because I just was like fumbling through it and eventually got around to inviting her. And she probably was thinking like, I'm not going because you're weird. Like, I, you know, it just, it just not, it wasn't good, right? And, and I walked away from that thinking, why was I so afraid to do that? It doesn't really make, it didn't make sense to me. But the more I thought about it, I was thinking, okay, because at the moment, what I was worried about was not necessarily what I was going to say, but I was concerned about what was this lady going to say back to me. I was thinking, I don't want her to reject me or to laugh at me or to think that I'm weird or to think that I am, am crazy. I didn't want that, right? So that's where my mind was at. That's what I was afraid of. So maybe... When you guys think about inviting someone to church, or especially when you think about starting up a conversation about the gospel, maybe when you think about that, just an imaginary situation, maybe your heart rate goes up, you start to just, you know what I'm talking about, where you just think about a situation and you're like, oh man, that's, that makes me nervous. And it's not even real, I'm talking about. Yeah, you guys like that? Yeah? No, not a single person. Okay, you're a bunch of liars. But anyways, um, point is, we can get really freaked out about how people are going to respond to us. What are they going to say, right? And it's really unfortunate, it's, it's really sad that this fear actually keeps a lot of Christians, maybe most Christians, from being vocal about their faith, from stepping out and just saying, hey, would you like to go to church with me? Or hey, have you ever heard about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you how Jesus can save you from your sin? And it's because we have this fear of man, is what that's called, is the fear of man, the fear of being rejected by people. And this is really sad to think about. It's a sad reality, right? And, and we need to know that the Bible actually tells us what to do when this happens. The Bible is very specific, as you know, and God tells us what we should do when we're afraid of people responding to us this way. And the Bible tells us what, what should we do when we actually are getting made fun of because of our faith. How do we live? How do we respond? What do we do? The Bible tells us. So open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing in 1 Peter, and we are in this series called How to suffer well. And I want to remind you that Peter is writing this, he's written this letter to a bunch of Christians who were suffering. 
They were having a really hard time. They were being dispersed because of persecution. They had watched friends and family members get dragged to prison because of their faith in Jesus. They had watched their friends and family get killed because of their faith in Jesus. And so they spread out because they had to run away from the authorities, from those that were doing the persecution. And so he's writing this to them and he's saying, here's what you need to do. When you suffer, when people are coming after you because of your faith, this is what you need to do. And so it's really comforting that God's word doesn't leave us hanging. And what I mean is, we know exactly what to do. God gives us clear instructions of how to live, how to behave, what to do, what to say, when this is happening. So when it does happen to us, we know, okay, this is what God expects me to do. That's how I need to respond. Right? So 1 Peter chapter 3, look with me now at verse 13. We'll read through verse 17. Here's what it says. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I want you guys to understand today... We need to understand how God's word says to behave when you are getting made fun of or getting picked on or getting bullied or whatever because of your faith in Jesus, right? So the Bible tells us what to do when you have a fear of man, when you're afraid. And then it takes it a step further and says, when people are actually making fun of you, this is what you need to do. And we need to realize and understand that this is what it's saying. So first of all, we need to say this. It should be expected, okay? Christians should expect for this to happen. The world hates Christianity. I mean it when I say that. The world hates it. The world, when I say the world, I mean the world without Jesus, people who are not Christians. They love sin. They love evil. That's what the Bible says about that, about, about people who have not put their trust in Jesus. The world wants to do sinful things. The world wants to do evil. And so when Christians are telling the world the gospel of Jesus, essentially what we're communicating is, you are evil, and you're following your evil and sinful desires, and God is holy and just, and you are breaking his law, and it's just for God to punish you by sending you to hell. That's what we're telling the world, okay? So it makes sense that the world is going to respond to us and say, just shut your mouth. I don't want to hear this. You're wrong. This is crazy. They're going to, they're going to say, you're crazy for believing that. And it's because we're telling people that they're wrong. And we're not just telling them that they're wrong because we, we enjoy telling them that. We're telling them that they're wrong because we have the message of the gospel. You understand? We have what they need to be saved. So we're not just going around telling people, you're wrong and God's going to punish you. We're saying, yes, you are wrong and God will punish you if you do not repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. You're living this way and you need to start living the other, completely the other way. You need to repent of your sin, put your trust in Jesus, and live a righteous life or else you will receive the punishment of God. And so we need to understand that the world doesn't want to hear that. You get that? They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that they're wrong. Nobody likes hearing that they're wrong, okay? Especially about this, about, about their eternity, okay? And so what we need to do is we need to expect this to happen. We should not be surprised when we're telling people about our church and what we're learning and what the Bible says and what the gospel is. We shouldn't be surprised when people push back and say, I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. You should just shut your mouth. Right? And we know that because that's what Jesus actually says to us. He says to expect this to happen. Right? Jesus is the one who said that, that he brought a sword, that his message will divide families. You understand that? That he knows the message of the gospel is, is not going to be received well, and people are going to fight over it, and people aren't going to like it. All right? So we got to expect it. You need to understand that this is how the world is going to respond. Right? And now you're thinking to yourself, you just told me to expect people to make fun of me, so why would I go and tell the gospel if people are going to make fun of me? Well, you have to do it because this is what Jesus is commanding us to do. 
We don't have the luxury of opting out. We don't get to say, okay, I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to live, I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to have all the benefits, and I'm going to be blessed, and I'm going to go to heaven, but what I'm not going to do is share the gospel. We don't get to do that. You understand? We don't have that choice. All right, and if you currently say that you're a Christian, but you've consciously been opting out and saying, I'm going to obey and everything else but not that, then you need to check yourself because you're being disobedient to the Great Commission that Jesus gives to Christians. Okay? So we need to understand, yes, that, that this is what God calls us to do, that we need to expect this opposition, and yes, it is a scary thing. I understand. I am with you guys. I get it. It is scary to think about going and doing this thing that God calls us to do. So there is this real concern, this real fear that we face. I get it. I'm with you. But what I'm telling you is God's word tells us exactly how to handle ourselves when this happens. So all that to say, here's point number one. Here's what we have to start with. Never fear the ridicule of unbelievers. Never fear the ridicule of unbelievers. See, Peter, he starts off this section of scripture with a question. And the question is, who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who can harm you? Who is there to hurt you if you are zealous for what is good? And then he follows up with that and he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And then he says, Have no fear of them or be troubled, nor be troubled. All right, so I want all of our minds to think back to last week, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. Bless you, Wesley. Do you need some, do you need some a tissue? Are you okay? Okay, all right. Last week, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. This Peter is quoting Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is all about pursuing righteousness and experiencing a blessing. And the blessing that Psalm 34 talked about was that you will love your life and you will have good days. You love your life and have good days. So Peter, he wants the Christians that he's writing to right now, not now, but when he was writing, he wants them to understand that the blessing that God gives to righteous behavior is the peace of God, right? We know that, that we have the peace of God, the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding and it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he wants them to see that pursuing righteousness You've put your trust in Jesus. You are living a righteous life. You're trying to do this. God will bless you by giving you peace and by protecting you so that you can love your life and you can have good days and you can be blessed in the midst of your suffering. And so what he says here with this question is he says, no one can harm a Christian. No one can hurt you if you have put your trust in Jesus. And if you put your trust in Jesus, this is seen in your pursuit of holiness, you desiring and striving to live a holy life. So a person who has repented of their sin, put their trust in Jesus, and that is reflected, and you can see that in their behavior, someone who is truly saved. What Peter is saying is, hey, who can harm you? Rhetorical question, meaning no one can. No one can harm these people. Okay, so let's think about it. Does this mean... That what Peter is saying is that if you're a Christian, then you will never experience pain? What do you think? Yes or no? No, you're right. It wouldn't make any sense if Peter was saying you'll never experience pain because think about who he's writing this to. If that's what he meant, these people would think, well, this is all a big lie then because I'm experiencing pain. I just got beaten because I said I'm a Christian. My brother just got killed because he said he's a Christian. So clearly Peter's wrong if that's what he's saying, that you'll never experience pain. So he's not saying that you will never experience any kind of physical or emotional or mental pain. But he uses that word harm. You will never be harmed. So what does Peter mean when he says that they won't be harmed? Peter wants them to think about, right now, he wants them to think about eternity. He wants their minds to be set on eternity. And if you just go back and glance at chapter 1 and skim through, you'll realize that that's what Peter's been doing this whole letter. 
is he wants these Christians to be thinking about their eternity with Jesus and not what's happening right now. Amidst the persecution and all the hard times, he wants them to be thinking about their eternity with Jesus. And so what he's saying is that God will protect them on the day of judgment. We talked about that last week again, I think. Um, The day of judgment, meaning when all this is said and done, end times come, and all people face the judgment seat of God, all Christians will be protected because they will be found to be in Christ Jesus. And we know, and we should all know this, that when you're a Christian, it's not because of your good works and what you've done, it's because of the righteousness of Christ. So now, if you've put your trust in Jesus, when God sees you, he doesn't see you and your sin and and how dirty you are, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, Right? So that doesn't mean that you are Jesus. That just means that Jesus lived the perfect life and became the perfect sacrifice. And when you trust that sacrifice, he gives his righteousness to you. You understand that? The Bible says that that's what God's gift is, that he gives his righteousness to Christians. Nothing that you've done other than you've repented and put your trust in Jesus, now you have God's righteousness. And because you have the righteousness of Christ, you will not be harmed on judgment day. You will be, you will be found to be righteous. God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will enter into heaven to be with him where it's going to be perfect. Where there will never be any more pain or sorrow or tears or heartache or anything like that. It will be completely perfect. No more pain ever. All right? So we need to understand that Peter is talking about harm in the final sense. You, no one can harm you. No one can really hurt you. So Peter, he wants them to see that the very worst thing that can happen to these Christians is physical death. That's it. That's the worst thing that can happen because they're protected by God and his power and his peace and forgiveness. The worst thing that can happen to Christians is physical death. Because we've already established if you're a Christian, you're not going to experience the judgment of God. You're not going to experience the wrath of God. It's not going to happen. It's not possible because you have the righteousness of Christ that's protecting you. So the worst thing that can happen to you if you've put your trust in Jesus is for your body to die. That's it. Christians can be persecuted. Christians can be hurt. Christians can be made fun of. Christians can experience so much emotional pain. And you guys are so young, but you already know that's true. If you say you put your trust in Christ, I'm sure that you've experienced pain before. We need to understand that he's not saying this life will be, bring no pain. He's saying no one can harm you in that final sense. Christians can be made fun of, beat up, put in prison. They can be killed. So I want you to see why, yes, all of that stuff is harmful. It hurts. Peter wants them to see and understand that their eternity is with God and their soul cannot be hurt. Their soul cannot be harmed. And so he's saying, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of these people. And he's really echoing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Write this down, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Really important verse, okay? For all verses are important, but this is important for what we're talking about, okay? Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, Don't be afraid of people. The worst thing that people can do is take your physical life away. They can kill you, but that's the worst thing. Here's what you really need to fear. This is who you really need to fear. You need to fear him. He's talking about God, the one who can destroy your body and your soul because your soul will be sent to hell if you don't put your trust in Jesus. So, People might make you sad. People might hurt your feelings. People might cause you physical pain. People might even kill your body, but they're not causing any real harm. And when I say real, I mean eternal harm. They're not hurting your soul, the part of you that's eternal. They can't touch because they're not God. And God has already said that your soul is protected because of your faith in Jesus, that he is protecting your soul. So here's what Paul says about this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, we know through his story that he walked through really intense seasons of suffering and persecution, and this guy was stoned uh, to the point where they thought he was dead. 
They, they looked at him, and he was so bloody and beat up that they said, okay, our job here is done. He wasn't dead. He stood up, and he walked to the next city to keep sharing the gospel. This guy was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a venomous snake. I mean, so many crazy things happened. He walked through such intense suffering. And here's what he says to the church in Corinth. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, for this light and momentary affliction. Pause. Think about everything I just said that Paul went through. All of that stuff he went through, he calls it light and momentary. Light meaning not heavy, kind of easy. And momentary meaning uh, it's just for a moment. It's, It's quick, it's over and done. It's light and momentary. And he says this, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, I'm sorry, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So Paul is saying, yeah, the suffering that I face, the hard time that I face, these things that I'm going through because of these people who hate me because I'm a Christian, those things, it's light and it's momentary because I'm comparing it to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's looking at this stuff that's happening, the suffering, the hard times, what people are doing to him, and he's saying, this is easy. This is nothing. This, this is nothing compared to how amazing my eternity is with God. When you compare the two, it's not even close. I'll go through whatever I need to go through here on earth because I know that I have my eternity safe and secure with God in heaven. You get that? He's saying light and momentary the weight of glory beyond all comparison. And he says, we're not looking to what we can see, but we're looking to what we can't see. If you spend too much time looking at what's happening now, what you can see, people making fun of you, you're afraid of what people are going to say. If you spend too much time looking at that, then you're not looking at what we can't see. And we know that we can't see heaven right now. We can't see our souls. We can't see that right now. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It is there. It's very, very real. And that's where our focus needs to be. And when we have our focus on eternity, when we have our focus on that is what my hope is set on, I have my hope in Christ, the living hope, which Peter already spent the most of chapter 1 talking about, if that is where our focus is on God and the eternal things, then that is going to make all of these other hard times, these painful moments that we have because people are making fun of us because of our faith, it's going to make that seem light and momentary. We're going to say, this is, I, I can go through this because I know that I'm just passing through earth right now, and this is all part of God's plan for my life, and at the end of this, whenever my time comes, I know that I'm going to experience the thing that Paul talks about, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Last week, I told you guys about one of my pet peeves. Today, I'm going to tell you about uh, a Something that I was afraid of when I was a kid. You guys want to hear that? I'm going to tell you even if you don't want to hear, okay? Um, When I was a a child, a young child, I was terrified of needles. Needles? You guys with me on that? Needles? Yeah? You like getting shots and getting finger pricks? Hated. I I can't, I still, to be honest, can't stand finger pricks. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're with me. You know whenever they're like squeezing your finger and they're trying to get it, like, oh, I hate that. It's terrible. Anyways, um, when I was a kid, I hated it even more than I hate it now, all right? And I don't know how old I was. I was probably between the ages of like four and six, so like four, five, and six years old, somewhere in there. Went to the doctor for my checkup. Guys in the back, pay attention. Thank you. I went to the doctor for my checkup. The doctor said, um, yeah, you're talking to my mom. Jacob has to get shots today. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, no, that is not happening. Not, I'm not okay with that. And so my mom's like, yeah, you have to get shots. And they had took me to the next room and put me on the table. You know, they put like the cold thing on you before they get the shots. And I had to get like two on my arm and two on my leg, something like that. And I just made up my mind right there that no needle was going to go inside my body. That I was not going to allow that to happen. And so I start pitching a fit. I am freaking out. I am yelling. I've got my elbows going around. My mom is like pinching me. You know, the mom pinch. And it, I, I didn't let it phase me. I, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting this needle. I'm not doing it. 
got to the point where, I'm not kidding, I have this really vague memory of probably three, maybe four nurses coming in the room to hold me down <laughs> so that they could give me these shots. I was losing my mind. And of course, when it was all done, uh, you know, when you're freaking out like that, I felt so, I remember distinctly, I remember feeling so foolish because the nurses were finally like, it's over, it's done. And I was like, I didn't even feel the needles go in me because I was so worked up and freaked out. I was like, oh. Like, I, I remember being like five or six and just feeling dumb. Like, I was like, oh, what? So, yeah, I got in trouble. My mom was mad at me. My dad was like, dude, you can't do that. That's, that's not okay. Um, fast forward to the next doctor's appointment. My mom says, Jacob, you're probably going to have to get shots today. And I was ready to freak out. I was like, mm -hmm, you remember what happened last time? Bring it on. <laughs> well, uh, my, mom, my mom used a really, really good mom move here. She said, Jacob, if you sit there calmly and get your shots, I will take you to get ice cream yeah. after. And as soon... As soon as she said that, I was like, oh, easy, okay. Like, my whole mindset, my whole attitude changed. I remember thinking like, oh, ice cream? Pfft, okay, yeah. And it was time to get the shots, and like, I was still scared. My heart, I remember my heart was racing and all, but I sat there and like shut my eyes and like tensed my body up, you know? And then it was over. It was done. And my mom was like, okay, let's go get ice cream. I was like, this is awesome. You should have told me this last time, you know? <laughs> Here's, here's my point, okay? In a small way, a very small way, this is kind of what Peter is talking about with having our minds fixed on eternity so that we can get through what's happening right now. I know ice cream is not eternal. Maybe we'll have it in heaven. I don't know. But my point is, uh, heaven, ice cream, okay? Um, but that, it, it helped me. I was able to think in that moment, okay, after this, my mom says that I'm going to get ice cream. And I really like ice cream. And now, it's not quite as hard to go through and getting these shots and having the pain happen to me because I know that after this, something awesome is going to happen. Okay? So Peter is saying, keep your minds fixed on eternity. The eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison is so much better so much better than anything that we will ever experience on earth, and it makes the hard times, the painful times, the suffering that we face because of our faith kind of easy. Peter, what he's talking about here, we have to understand this, is he calls it suffering for righteousness' sake. And so what this means is the suffering that we face, the hard times that we face because of our faith. Right? Because people know that we're Christians and they treat us poorly, that's the suffering that Peter is talking about. And when this happens, God says that you will be blessed. You will experience the blessing. You'll have the peace. You'll be able to love your life and, and say that you, you have good days and all these things. You'll have this peace that surpasses all understanding. And so God says that we should never fear these people. Never fear the people that are threatening you. Never fear the people who say, if you don't shut your mouth about Jesus, then I'm going to punch you, right? I don't even, like, if that would ever happen, right? You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid of, oh man, if I, if I don't stop, then my friends are going to stop hanging out with me. If I, if I don't stop talking about Jesus, then, um, then I'm, I'm going to lose my friends and people are going to think that I'm weird. I'm going to be the outcast and I'm going to sit alone at the lunch table. We shouldn't fear that. We shouldn't be afraid of anything like that happening. And, and the Bible says, do not be troubled. Do not be troubled by this. This just means don't worry about it. So don't fear these people. And then when it's actually happening and they're making fun of you, still don't fear them, but don't let it trouble you. 
Don't lose sleep over it. Don't think, oh man, these people really don't like me because of my faith in Jesus. Now look, I recognize that that sounds a little contradictory to what we talked about last week, okay? About conflict and forgiveness and things like that. But listen, if someone doesn't like you just because of your faith in Jesus, there's not really anything you can do about that. You're not going to be able to go to that person and say, I don't like what's going on between us. Can we, can we please resolve this? All they're going to say is, I don't like you because you're a Christian, right? So at that point, God's word just, he, it says, okay, you're just, don't worry about it. Don't let it trouble you. Don't lose sleep over it. Don't let it keep you up at night. Don't let it affect your mood. Just think to yourself, okay, this, this is what God told me to expect and just move on. Don't let it trouble you. Don't fear these things. Don't think too much about what happens right now. Think about eternity. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the same phrase that Peter is using right now. Blessed are these people, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, Jesus says, not be sad and be upset and be troubled and worry about it, but in verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says, when this is happening, you're blessed. When this is happening, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So even Jesus now, Jesus is saying, and this is where Peter is getting it, he's repeating these things. Jesus says, keep your mind fixed on heaven. The reward, eternity, think there. That's where your mind needs to be. Not here, not on earth. And Jesus says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying that to the Christians that he was preaching to so that they aren't surprised when persecution happens. The prophets who went, they were persecuted. Read Jeremiah, read Isaiah, read the prophets that's what happened. They were persecuted. They were made fun of. They were thrown in prison. And so Jesus is saying, don't be surprised when this happens. So stay focused on heaven. Stay focused on eternity, not on what's happening right now. Never fear the ridicule of unbelievers. So Peter says, have no fear, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so again, what Peter's doing is quoting the Old Testament. He's quoted the Old Testament a lot, a lot in just three short chapters. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, and it says this. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. So just like Peter says, don't fear them, fear God. That's exactly what Isaiah said. Hey, guys, guys, in this area... I don't know what's going on, but pay attention. Okay? Thank you. He says, do, do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. So Peter and Isaiah, right? They're saying, do not fear, do not fear people. Fear God. Fear him. Fear the Holy One. And so we got to understand that when we have the proper fear of God, and we say, God, I fear you, I love you, I respect you, I want to obey you and honor you, what the Bible is saying is that we won't have that fear of man. Because our fear of God is going to just remove the fear of man. When we have the understanding of this is who God is, this is why I fear God, we're not going to fear people. We're not going to fear man. So I want you guys to think with me for a minute, okay? Think about this. Think about what if this is how you lived your life? Everything I've just said, everything I'm talking about, what if this is how you lived your life? Starting today, you made the decision, that's how I'm going to live. That's how God wants me to live. That's how I'm going to live. What if you were just boldly telling people about Jesus and they were making fun of you all the time? Think about it. You're going to school, you're in a class, you're going to your sports teams, you're in your neighborhoods, you're with your friends, and you're like, can I please, can I just tell you about Jesus? Can I just tell you, I, like, I want to tell you about it. And what if they just started making fun of you? Ridicule, threatening you, 
if you don't stop talking, I'm going to hit you. If you don't stop talking, I'll never talk to you again. Like, like think about it. that's what's happening. Put yourself in, in those shoes and think that's what's happening to you, okay? They're calling you dumb. They can't believe that you would believe in this fairy tale the Bible talks about. This is crazy. Christians are weak and you're boring and you're lame because you won't do the things that I want to do because you say that it's sin, whatever that means. Think about, put yourself there, okay? But then think about this. You just didn't let it bother you. Think, think about that. All this is happening to you, and you just say, you know what, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not afraid of you, so I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. I'm not afraid of what you're saying. You can make fun of me all you want, um, but I'm not afraid. And, and I'm going to keep doing the right thing. Sometimes, what Peter is saying, sometimes, that behavior is going to spark a question in the people that are making fun of you, the people that are making your life hard. They're just going to be like, okay, can I ask you a question? How are you okay right now? How can you be okay with all of this stuff that's happening? All these people, ever since you started talking about Jesus all the time, all these people have just been making fun of you to your face and behind your back, and somehow you're still smiling. Somehow you still come and you're nice to everybody and, and you just smile and you seem so hopeful. How does that happen? And we need to understand that this is a God-given opportunity to share the gospel. This is an opportunity that God has given you to say, let me tell you how I can keep smiling. Let me tell you how I can be so hopeful all the time. Let me tell you about Jesus. Peter says, in that situation, you need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Here's point number two. Be ready to explain the reason for your hope. Be ready to explain the reason for your hope. Hope, we've talked about this. This is something that Peter has talked about a lot in this letter already. He called Jesus the living hope. We have the living hope through Christ. Uh, we have hope in Jesus for eternal life, hope that Jesus will guard us, our hearts and our minds, and, and that this hope is how Christians can be rejoicing through hard times. This is it. This is the answer. We have the hope in Christ. And so Peter, he keeps talking about this hope, and he's saying that this, living this way, is going to open doors and give you opportunities to share the reason for your hope. People are going to ask you, how are you okay? Tell me how you can be so hopeful. You need to be ready in that moment to say, this is how I'm so hopeful. Because of my hope in Jesus, this is exactly how I can keep smiling. So I've got a question for you, okay? If you say that you're a Christian, all right? If that's where you are right now in life and, and you are telling people that you are a Christian, is it obvious? Is it obvious to these people? Do they see something different about you? Are you acting differently than the world? Is your hope in Jesus actually causing you to live differently, to do the things that God's word says we will do because of our faith in Jesus? So the point here is your hope in Jesus, it should set you apart from the world. People who don't believe in Jesus should be able to see that you are different. The way that you talk is different. The way that you treat people is different. The way that you live, what you do with your free time, it's different. And it's because of the hope that you have in Jesus. So here's another question. If someone were to ask you, the person who says, I'm a Christian, and, and, and someone, if someone was to ask you, hey, why are you so hopeful all the time? Would you be ready to give them an answer? If someone was to approach you and say, hey, you know what? I know that you're a Christian. I know you've told me that you go to Compass and you're in this thing called the Narrow. Um, why do you do that? Why, why, do you, why are you a Christian? Would you be ready to give an answer? Would you know what to say? Or would you freeze up? 
Would you say, oh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't know. I just want my, my parents to take me there. I don't, I don't know. What would you say? Would you be ready to give them the answer for your hope? Would you be ready to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to that person? Because here's what we're saying. If you say that you're a Christian, if you say that you have your hope set in Jesus, then you've got to be ready to share the gospel. Because God could give you an opportunity at any moment to share it. We have to understand it enough and be confident enough to say, this is what the gospel is. We have to be ready to say something like, God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, and, and he created people, and people were without sin. And then one day, people did sin, and sin is bad, and, and that's how sin entered the whole world. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and so because we sin, we deserve eternal death, and that's the bad news. But the good news is that God became flesh, that, that Jesus came to earth, and he lived a perfect life, and, and he died the death that you and I deserve. And he was nailed to a cross, the place that you and I deserve to be. He was, he was hung there. He was nailed there. And he died a physical death. But then on the third day, he rose again. Right? He bore the wrath of God on his shoulders, which you and I deserve. And then on the third day, he, he rose from the dead. And that signifies that he defeated death. He defeated hell forever. And now, if you put your trust in him, if you repent of your sin, and you put your trust in Jesus, then you can be saved. Would you be ready to say something like that? It does not have to be word for word what I just said. But would you be ready to explain this to someone? Would you be ready to say, I have this hope because I've done that. Because now Jesus is my living hope and I can be hopeful. And I believe this and you should believe it too. Would you be ready? Would you be ready to do that? I want you to imagine, okay, with me, that I told all of you guys that, that I am a chess master. I'm not, by the way. I don't even know how to play. But let's just think for, for a second that I said, yeah, I'm a chess master. And I'm hanging out with you guys, and I'm like, hey, I have, I'm a part of a chess club. We go to, I go to chess clubs Saturday nights and Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and um, we open the chess manual, and we read from it, and we go to groups, and we make sure we understand the chess manual, so that way when I'm playing chess, I know how to play, Right? And, and think about, like, that's me. I'm telling, I'm, I'm saying that I, I do this. I'm in this chess player. I'm in this chess club. And then imagine someone walks up to me and says, uh, hey, can you tell me why do you play chess? How do you play chess? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, my parents take me there. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. All right, look, I know that's a silly example, okay? All right, but everyone needs to be ready to explain the gospel. Do you understand that? If people know that you're part of this thing called the narrow, you go to church, you open God's word, and you read it, and then you talk about how to apply it to your lives, and you do this stuff. If people know that, and you're telling people, I believe that, I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm with them, I believe this stuff, I'm a Christian. If someone comes to you and says, tell me about it, please, what's the gospel? You keep talking about Jesus. What, what did he do for me? You've got to be ready to explain it. You've got to be ready to explain it. Be prepared to explain the gospel. All right, so Peter, he explains this now. He, he, he talks about conduct, and this is a word that Peter seems to be obsessed with, and it's a good word because it's talking about our behavior, our conduct. So he says this, Christians should be ready to explain the reason for their hope with gentleness and respect. So when someone approaches you and asks you, why do you do that? What's up with that? Like, can you tell me about, can you tell me about, about Jesus? We should never treat them like it's a dumb question. We should never be harsh or rude. We should be gentle and respectful. And so what Peter is getting at is he says that Christians should have a good conscience. So he says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Right? So to have a good conscience, that means to not have guilt. 
That means that you, your hands are clean, that you are not living in some habitual sin, that you're not just, just hiding and, and being sinful and, and quiet and then trying to hide it in public. You have a good, you have a clean conscience. And he's saying that if you treat people this way with gentleness and respect and your conduct is godly, then you won't have a reason to have a guilty and a bad conscience. And so what he's saying is, if you have a good conscience, this is what he says, I'm just going to read it again. So that when you are slandered, because of your good conscience, when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they might be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right? Here's point number three. Avoid suffering for bad behavior. Avoid suffering for bad behavior. I want you to listen to what Peter said back in chapter 2. Right, this should be familiar. He said, For what credit is it if when you, are, when, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Right, so this is similar. He's, he's saying similar things here. All right, so he, here's the idea. Some people, some people will say, oh, I'm having a really hard time. Like, people are just like, they just, they won't get off my back and like, I'm always in trouble and they're just coming after me and I'm, I'm a victim and my teachers hate me and all this stuff. Like, man, I'm just suffering right now. I'm just having a hard time, right? But the reason that they're going through this is because they're making bad decisions because they are disobeying their parents and they're being disrespectful to their teachers and they're being rude to people. And so because they're acting this way, they're not suffering. They're just, they're just reaping the consequences for their bad behavior. That's just, that's just how the world works. That's how, that's how everything works. How God set it to work. That when you misbehave, when you sin, there are consequences. All right, so let's not kid ourselves and think, oh, my life is so hard. Everyone's out to get me. When the reason why this is happening to you is because you are sinning. Because you are being disrespectful and disobedient, okay? You're suffering. That gives you no credit. The hard time you're experiencing, there's nothing good. There's nothing redeemable there. God's not saying, I'm proud of you because you're suffering. No, it's because of your sin issue. So God is saying, there's nothing good there. But the good thing he's talking about is when you, when you suffer, when you have a hard time, when people make fun of you, and the only thing they have to say against you is, man, they're just too good. I want you to think about that, okay? So, if you give people a reason to revile you because you're, you're threatening and you're making fun and you're a bully and you're sinning and you face consequences, that's exactly what God says is going to happen. And there's no credit there. You don't get any claps or anything like that. Okay? But if you are made fun of for doing the right thing, there's a blessing there for you. And the Bible actually says that the people who make fun of you, they will experience shame. Okay? Listen. Think about how, honestly, how silly it is that there are people in the world who are going to look at Christians and they're going to make fun of them and say, oh, I hate that person. Oh, well, well why? What do they do to you? Oh, they're, they're, just, they're just always doing the right thing. That just sounds silly, right? You understand? Like, oh, I can't stand that girl. I can't, oh, she just gets on my nerve. Why? Because she just invites me to church all the time. And she wants to tell me about Jesus. And she's nice to me all the time. Oh, I just don't like it. Right? That's, that's how the world treats Christians. And when we look at that, that's silly. Like, so that's like shameful. There's no reason for them to do that. There's, that's a shameful thing for them to do. So they're experiencing shame that way. But the, the, the bigger thing here that God's word is talking about is that these people, if they don't repent of their sin and put their trust in Jesus, they're going to experience shame on the day of judgment that they are going to realize when they are face-to-face -face with God at the judgment seat, they're going to become ashamed of their sin. They're going to realize, wow, my friend was right. I made fun of these people my whole life, but they were right, and they're going to experience shame on that day. And Peter, the last thing he says here is, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Suffering for doing good. That's, the, that's, that's what God is after, right? He's saying, if you have a hard time, if people are making fun of you, because you are doing the right thing, you'll be blessed. God will give you peace. He will take care of you. There's a blessing there. And ultimately, we don't need to fear because we know that people can't hurt our souls, that God has our souls protected. And listen, 
he says, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. So what Peter is trying to get these people to refocus on, just like he did back at the beginning of the letter, is that the suffering that they're experiencing, it is actually a part of God's will. And this should be encouraging to them because they're thinking, wow, my life is really hard. People are dying. I don't know what to do. Peter's saying, God is still in control. He's comforting them and saying, God is in control. You are suffering for doing the right thing and God is going to bless you and you can have peace in this hard time and you just need to know that God is still in control. And guys, I say this to you all the time. This is all, all over the Bible. We've got to get this, that Romans says that God works all things for the good of those who love him, all right? So the suffering, this, the hard times that God in his will are putting, is putting you through, it's happening so that you can become more like Jesus. And so Peter wants them to see. He's like, guys, you're doing what God wants you to do. You're doing the right thing. Don't think that because you're facing hard times that God is punishing you. You're not being punished. This is what God said is going to happen. And he's going to bless you. And he's going to protect you. And don't be afraid of what's going to happen to you. Because even if they kill you, you're going to be okay. You're going to be better than okay. Because you're going to be with God in heaven forever. And God is in control of all of these things and this is happening to you because God wants what's best for you and the best thing for you is to what? To be made more like Jesus. That's the best thing. That's what God is after. God is in control of all of this and that's what we need to remember. That's what Peter's trying to get these Christians to remember. I think that the person in my life that, that I've seen live out these verses probably the best was a guy who was in the, the first youth group I was ever a part of. I was in the sixth grade. This guy was older, and he kind of took me under his wing and um, discipled me, and he was really helpful for me. And he would take me to lunch, and we'd just go hang out. And um, this guy was really passionate about sharing the gospel, really passionate. And we'd be out to lunch, and he'd, he'd talk to the, the person at the cash register. Yeah, we'd, we'd go to this church. You've been to church before. You know about Jesus. Can I tell you? And then we'd eat, and then he'd be like, hey, let's go to Walmart. Like, why? He's like, because we're going to go share the gospel at Walmart. I'm like, okay, okay. And he just, like, I just watched him do this. And he was not afraid. And I watched people say bad words to him and yell at him and, and tell him to be quiet. And I watched people listen to him and say thank you. And I saw it all. And, and he was never afraid of doing this. He was not afraid. He had been yelled at. And he's like, okay, let's go find someone else. I'm like, dude, are you not scared? And he's like, yeah, a little bit. But you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Like God says not to be afraid. So he didn't fear what was going to happen. And, and he was always ready. He was always ready to just share the gospel. He wasn't some theology master. He was, he was a high school kid, okay? He didn't have everything figured out. So you don't have to have all the answers to all the questions about theology. It's okay to look someone in the face and say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll get back to you. But what you do need to know is how does somebody get saved? What is the gospel? What is the reason for your hope? And, and he, he just knew and he was ready to do this. And he would face these hard times and people would make fun of him, but it was never because, oh, he's being rude to me and, he won't, and he's yelling at me. It's because, go away, I don't want you to tell me the gospel. And people would make fun of him because he was making the right decision to follow God and to not sin. And people at his high school would make fun of him and tell him that he's dumb and he's crazy. And he didn't care because he just wanted people to know the gospel. And he wanted his friends to get saved. He wanted this. Is how he lived. And so this friend of mine, he modeled this for, for me to follow. And, and really, he's just following what the Bible says. He lived out what Peter is talking about. And this is exactly the way that we should all be living if we say that we've put our trust in Jesus. Let's pray. God, please help us to understand what we've read today. Help us to understand this is so important that we've got got to make sure that we aren't just opting out and saying that we're not going to share the gospel, but we're, we're passionate about this and we want to share the gospel and we want people to come to know you. Help us to live this way. Help us to not be afraid of what people are going to say to us or say against us. Help us to be ready to explain what the gospel is. And God, help our conduct to be holy. 
That way people don't have anything bad to say about us other than what our good conduct is, and that's what you say you want from us. That's where we experience a blessing. So God, please help us to live this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.